0: We're looking from Luke 23, verse 50, down to uh, verse 12 of Luke 24. So I'm going to read the verses, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it together. It feels really loud. Is it really loud? Yeah. Is it really loud? I don't think anyone forgot how big a mouth I have. (laughs) No. Greg? I was going to say pot, kettle, kettle, pot. Um, okay, Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and their actions. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it... In a tomb cut in stone where no one had uh, ever yet been laid. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they, uh, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground. Then the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stoop, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth, cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Father, I pray that you would move us from simply marveling to truly believing. Father, I pray that you would help us to Think about how clear you've made it, how how you have shown yourself through your son as he pierced history, lived and died and rose from the dead. That, Lord, that we would believe, that we would rejoice. Lord, that we would respond in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord, we know that that requires faith, And Lord, we know that requires that work of your Holy Spirit in our life. And so we pray, Father, that you would do that work in us as we look at your word afresh. I pray for for those of us, Lord, who have heard this so many times, it's going to feel like old hat. Lord, protect us from a knowledge that puffs up. I pray for those, Lord, who who may not know you yet or are just investigating Christianity. Lord, would you open their eyes Open their understanding. Help them to weigh the evidence and see the reasonableness of believing in you. Lord, would you do what only you can do? We just pray you would be glorified in this and we would be blessed by it. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. 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 Anybody ever been to the Ripley Museum? Ripley's, believe it or not. Anybody ever been to that museum in London? Anybody ever watched the old TV show? You guys know the old TV show? Anybody never heard of Ripley's, believe it or not? Gosh, that was the wrong analogy to start with. (laughs) It's a silly kind of novelty museum that has all these strange things. Like, the kind of stuff you would see on a tabloid newspaper, you know? The Bat Boy. You know that kind of stuff? He's got pointy ears and he's supposed to be half bat, half human, believe it or not. All this silly stuff. And you go through this stuff, and the funny thing about this kind of museum and these kinds of things are that some of them are just a farce. They're just made up, and they're just for fun. But some of them actually are true, and they're just oddities of reality. But it's funny because you you go to this, and it's just meant for entertainment. Believe it or not, take it or leave it, what do you want to do? This is kind of how it's handled. This is the whole draw. When we go to the Gospels, it's not believe it or not. There's no place in the Gospels where Jesus says, if you want to believe, believe. If you don't, that's okay. Never. When Jesus speaks, when, when, he, when he would do the things that, that, that only God himself could do, when he would teach in a way that really had an authority that only God himself could, could have, when he presented himself as the unique son of God, he would give a command, and the command was, believe. It was believe. But that command to believe wasn't just this this thing of, well, hey, forget about thinking, forget about reason, forget about logic. Just believe. It wasn't that. It was look at the evidence and believe. You guys might remember the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And John the Baptizer was uh, this, this really powerful uh, forerunner of Christ. And if you remember, he was arrested for, 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 for speaking righteously against the government at the time. And he goes into jail and through a, a series of really bizarre circumstances ended up yeah, be, being beheaded. But while he was in jail, well, obviously before he was beheaded, he began to doubt. He began to wonder. And what happened is he sent some of his disciples, some of the people that he had been training up, to Jesus... To ask Jesus, are you, the, are you the one, or do we look for another? He was doubting. He was wondering, did I make a mistake? Here I am about to lose my head, literally. Did I do the right thing? And Jesus says, tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and happy is him who's not scandalized because of me. And so then he goes on, Jesus goes on to basically celebrate John the Baptist and talk about how he was the greatest man Born among women. The reason I share that story in the beginning of here is that when when John wrestled with, am I seeing this right? Do, Do I see Jesus the way I'm supposed to see Jesus? When he was thinking this and feeling this, Jesus didn't wag his finger. He just said, Look, he told his disciples, Look at the evidence and go back and believe. We are now in this part of Luke's gospel where it's full of evidence. Of course, we've seen this, haven't we, from the very beginning of Luke's gospel where Luke says, I wanted to bring you an orderly account. And, and Luke had interviewed, Luke himself, of course, wasn't an eyewitness, but he was a, a kind of a minister, a co-minister with Paul the apostle. And he knew many of the, uh, he probably knew most, if not all of the apostles that had walked with Jesus and, and interviewed many who had Uh, um, seen Jesus risen from the dead and and, and probably interviewed uh, Jesus' mother Mary and and just basically had all this insight and he gathers this together in this two-volume work, Luke and Acts, for a guy named Theophilus, probably the guy who funded the work. And he says, I wanted to bring you an orderly account. I wanted to give you the evidence of why we trust Jesus. And the foundation of the reason, the foundation for our faith, for our reasonable faith, is the resurrection. And I really hope as we look at this that you're encouraged by something. I want to just bring it out in the open right now. There's no, there's no, we're not going to avoid any scandal here. That everyone that we're reading about today was a skeptic before they were a believer. I like that. Because that's that's my story. A skeptic before a believer. That continues to be my story. It feels like every paragraph starts with skepticism and then turns to faith. I'm so thankful God's the one writing my story. So we want to look at, really, the testimony of these three groups. And it's not the kind of testimony you might be thinking where everything's totally positive. It's the testimony of three groups, you might say, or three uh, sets of skeptics. People who are wondering, is this really the Christ Is this really Jesus, the one we're supposed to follow? And see how they began to go from skepticism to faith. So let's first look at the testimony of a righteous man, Joseph of Arimathea. Back in verse 50, here's what it says. This man, Joseph, Luke tells us, Luke writing to a Gentile audience, makes it clear he's from this Jewish town of Arimathea. Not a big town, we don't even know for sure where it was. But you know, he, he wants to make it clear this is Joseph from a Jewish town. Joseph is a Jew, he's a, he's a member of the council, it says. That would be what's known as the Sanhedrin, uh, or the 70 Jewish uh, men who helped uh, sort of represent the nation of Israel to uh, the Roman government. Okay, these were religious men, many of whom uh, were scholars and understood the Old Testament scriptures uh, fairly well, at least the, the traditions around the Old Testament scriptures. Luke says he was a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And of course, this is a reference to what we looked at last week, what Ben kind of highlighted for us. They, when the council decided Jesus should be crucified, he should be handed over to the Romans and be crucified. And the idea here is he didn't consent to this. Now, now what we're seeing here about, oh, I should say this too, this is really important, right? It says that he was also looking for the kingdom of God. Now, now what we see here in Luke kind of introducing us to Joseph of Arimathea, and all four Gospels talk about this guy, and we only know about him from this incident. But what what he does and introduces him is he wants us to see that Joseph had a certain credibility to be able to testify of Jesus' life and death. And that Joseph saw, he knew, that Jesus was innocent. Now, because he was on the council, he probably had enough respect with Pilate that he was able to ask for the, the body of Christ and, and, uh, so that he could bury him. But it's also important that we see, when it says he didn't consent, don't necessarily picture him there going, I don't think it's a good idea to, to crucify Jesus. There's there's evidence that would say that maybe he wasn't even allowed to come and vote. Like they excluded him to come to the council that day. We know he's going to vote. Don't even tell Joseph we're having this meeting. So he might not even have known. And here you need to see that what he's doing here, by asking for the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, to bury it, he's risking his reputation and his position on the council. And he's doing so for someone he had hoped to be the Messiah who had now been crucified. Now, it's interesting, because one of the things that Matthew's gospel tells us, something very specific about, two things very specific, one will be important in a second, the other's important right now. It says this, Matthew says that Joseph was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also, notice, a disciple of Jesus. So what that means here is that he's not one of the 12. What it means is, he was someone who was intentional about listening to what Jesus had to say. That he wanted to follow Jesus' teachings. He wanted to follow what Jesus said about the Old Testament scriptures. That's what that's a reference to. And so you can imagine that this was someone who, was, who, who knew, he heard how Jesus taught. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. He saw the injustice of Jesus' uh, uh, trial and then execution And he thought to himself, this was an innocent man. So what happens? In verse 52, it says, he goes to Pilate. He asks for the body of Jesus. It says, he took it down, obviously probably not by himself, but with help. He took it down. He wrapped it in the linen and he laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. Now, this is interesting. Because here's what we read in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, famous Old Testament passage about the suffering servant. The Jews applied it to them, Israel as a nation. If you read it, and I encourage you to go back and read it, it's obviously uh, prophetic about Jesus. Here's one of the things it says, listen. And they made his grave, that is, those around made Christ's grave, with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In other words, there was this prophecy that the, the Messiah, when he'd be crucified, which was something that most of the Jews were blind to, when he would suffer, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Now, here's interesting. We don't know. Did Joseph do this on purpose? Did Joseph know this verse and think, you know what? I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to bury him in a rich man's tomb. Who knows? That could be. It, it, even if that was, it doesn't take away the prophetic element. Because guess what? Jesus didn't make it happen. He was already dead. The, the point is this. What Joseph is doing here is he's actually fulfilling what God would say. This is another sort of signpost that Jesus is that chosen king, God's chosen king that the Jews were meant to look out for. But it also makes me think about as a disciple, as someone who knew Jesus was innocent, I wonder what he was feeling when he did this. I can see him being involved in wrapping Jesus up. I can see him kind of going to this tomb, which he probably owned. This was probably a tomb that he spent a lot of money on uh, being hewn out of the rock for his family. And I kind of picture him, uh, you know, you know, as he's wrapping up Jesus, just weeping over him. Mourning over the loss. Just, just feeling like, you know, God, what happened? If he's not your chosen king, who could possibly be? It made me think of the song that we sing sometimes uh, oh, praise the name, uh, the Hillsong song. It says, his body bound and drenched in tears. I, I, just, uh, I can just kind of see them as they're binding up the body of, uh, of Christ and the tears just soaking the linen cloth as they're weeping over it. Heavy stuff. But the thing that we need to see is that the reason he's included in all four Gospels is because this is a trustworthy testimony. This is a man who knew scripture and therefore would have known a fraud if he saw one in Jesus. This is a man who was willing to learn. This is a man who was was humble. This is a man who knew Jesus was innocent. And even he didn't expect him to rise from the dead. Look what it says in verse 54. It says that uh, it was preparation day and the Sabbath was beginning. So they stopped. They put him in the tomb and they stopped. Now, the reason he does this is because Joseph needs to be seen as someone who is committed to the God of Israel. He was committed to what the Scripture says about keeping the Sabbath for an Israelite, for the Jew. As Gentiles, we don't have to keep the Sabbath, but the Jews did. It was part of the the Old Covenant, right? But but here's the thing. Listen, this is an important aspect of what Luke is writing to Gentiles, to non-Jews. Keep that in mind. Let's look at the second group. The testimony of devoted women. Verse 55. It says, And the women who had come with Joseph from Galilee, they followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath day they rusted according to the commandment. Now you see what's happening here, right? Okay, They too are devoted to the God of Israel. Okay? They're, they're in the right place. They have the wrong expectations, we'll see in a second. But, but they were devoted to the God of Israel. So that even though when they followed Joseph to the tomb, and they have the spices to, to anoint his body, because they expect it to be dead and be decaying, it's, it's not a pretty idea. But what they used to do uh, is they would hewn out these, uh, at least wealthy people would hewn out these uh, places of burial. They would uh, uh, anoint the body with, with all these fragrant spices and oils. And then wrap it in the cloth and leave it on this certain part, bench on the, in, the, in the tomb until all the flesh rotted away. So the spices were there to kind of hold, hide the smell for as long as they could. And then when it was just bones, they would take the bones and put them in a smaller box and then go into a, comp- a compartment inside the tomb. This is how they, this is how they did it. This is, this is kind of what they were doing with the burial. But they stopped as Joseph did. Why? Because they were devoted to the God of Israel. They were they arrested according to the command that God gave. Now, why is this important? As, 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 a, as a gospel written to Gentiles, why is it important that the Gentile readers knew that Joseph and these women were committed to the God of Israel? Why is it important to us, who probably most of us are Gentiles, why is it important for us to know this? This is why. We cannot forget that Jesus came as a Jewish savior following the Jewish, fulfilling the Jewish scriptures, whose father, God his father, is the God of Israel. And the reason I'm, I'm saying this is important is because we see Jesus confronting the misapplication and the wrong traditions that Israel had. They had taken God's word and they had twisted it. And perverted it. So he was constantly correcting traditions. The whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus correcting Jewish traditions. But he also, in the same Sermon on the Mount, said, I did not come to break the law, but fulfill it. And the reason this is important, seriously, is because when we're talking about God, big G, God, we're not talking about someone that we can just make up our own definition We can't just say, I think Jesus is like this, or I think Jesus is like this, or I like this kind of Jesus, or I like that kind of Jesus. Now, we do this, but we should not do this. We pick the the hippie Jesus, or we pick the surfer guy Jesus, or we pick the harsh Jesus, or whatever we want to pick. The coffee shop Jesus, I don't know. We pick a Jesus of our own understanding, but the Jesus of the scripture was the promised Messiah of the Jews. Therefore, listen, all that the Old Testament says about who God is and what God is like, Jesus affirms and demonstrates with the greatest of clarity. Listen. The scripture says this in in, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, of course, written to the Jewish people. It says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by a son. Now, you need to know that there was not a good Jew who did not see the authority of the scriptures. And Jesus did not deny that authority he fulfilled it and extended it. He is the authoritative word. This is so important for us to get through our head because, listen, as we continue through Luke's Gospels, we see the evidence for the resurrection. We see the reality that Jesus is alive. Not this that he rose from the dead we think it is just only as an historical event, but because that's historically true, he is alive today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're with us here by your Holy Spirit. It's so important for us to see this, especially as we get into next week's sermon and we talk about how important the scripture was to Jesus in revealing that to his disciples, the reality of his resurrection. Now, these women, they get to the tomb, right? They're expecting to Anoint him with these spices. Verse 1 of chapter 24. On the first day at early dawn, that would be Sunday morning, early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when, he, when they went in there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So again, right place. They followed Joseph where that tomb was. They're not in the wrong tomb. That's, believe it or not, that's one of the theories. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. All the disciples went to the wrong tomb. That's literally, some people believe this. I'm just saying. My youth pastor used to tell us, if you won't believe the truth, any lie will do. Absolutely. So they, they're right to, but they had the wrong expectation. They who loved Jesus, he was their rabbi, the one who was teaching them, the one who was opening their eyes to, to who God was, the one, listen, the one who valued them as women like no man had ever done before. And they expected him to be dead. So they get there, and when the body's missing, they're not thinking he's alive. They're thinking, where is he? What happened? The other Gospels give that testimony. So so here's what happens. Verse 4. It says, While they were uh, perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Now, comparing to other gospel accounts, and even just the language that's used here, it's really obvious that these aren't just like men. That there's something about them that is more than that. These are angels. These are messengers from God. Okay? The description pretty much in their response makes that clear. So what happens? The men said to them, verse 5, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I, I don't see this as a rebuke as much as just a cheeky angel. <laughs> what are you doing, man? I, 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 I can imagine them, you know, in, in this form of, uh, they look like humans, they look like men, in this form with smiling ear to ear, kind of going, hey, you didn't see this happening, did you? <laughs> Why do you seek the, the, the living among the dead? But notice what they do. They don't start preaching their own sermon. What do they do? listen. Verse 6, right? Remember, or he's, they say, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into, hands, into the hands of sinful men. Did that happen? Absolutely. And be crucified. Did that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And rise the third day. Did that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're, they're going, what? Huh? What? And here's what it says. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. Didn't say that they believed the angels' words. They remembered Christ's words. Now, this is, this is important. It's important because remembering is a crucial aspect of believing. I think, I think, especially if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in the church, you, this side of what's called the, the first and second great awakenings, if you don't know what those are, don't worry. We, we can talk about that later. But this side of these historical events where many people became Christians, churchgoers became real Christians, okay? This, this changed the Western world, specifically England and the United States, okay? This side of that, as Christians, we tend to look for an event. I became a Christian here. Boom. I got baptized here. Boom. And because we're so event-based in our faith, we think, okay, I remember, here's, when I, here's my conversion experience. Now, nothing wrong with conversion experiences. I had a really dramatic conversion experience. But a lot of people don't have that. I remember I got baptized here. Boom. I remember when the first time I experienced the Holy Spirit here. Boom. And we go from experience to experience to experience. And so our faith is built on these experiences. But actually, biblical faith isn't like that. Biblical faith isn't based on experiences. It's based on who God has showed himself to be and us remembering that. This is the God we serve. This is the God we trust. You see this, uh, Peter uh, gives this kind of exhortation in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the uh, through your apostles. Jude, the, the half-brother of Jesus, says a similar thing. You must remember, he says, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, in both those contexts, it's talking about how In the latter times, that is between the time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming, what's going to happen is many people are going to, there's going to be many false teachers who will uh, creep in and deceive people. And so he's saying, listen, the way you combat that is not to throw stones at them necessarily. It's to know what God said. Remember what God says. You can go, well, that's what God said. What you're saying is wrong. That, that would, you do that with everybody. You should do that with me. You should kind of just go, oh, John said that. Sounds pretty good. No, you should go back to Scripture and say, this is what God says. I remember what God says. Yeah, that fits, or not so much there. I'll talk to John about that afterwards. The point is, listen, that these women, their devotion, they were, they were devoted to the God of Israel. They were de- devoted to their crucified Messiah. They're a rabbi. They thought, maybe we were mistaken, but we still love him. And now, when they hear the truth, and they remember what God has said, they are devoted to his promises. Lord, I'm committed to take you at your word. I want you to think about this, too. The only evidence they had at this point was what? An empty tomb. That's it. Now, if you go to Israel, it's a cool thing to do, by the way, if you get a chance. If you go to Israel, you can go to this place called the Garden Tomb. Whether or not that's, it, it wasn't the tomb that Jesus probably uh, was uh, resurrected from, but it's a good example of what it looks like. And it's funny, because I remember when I went there, we went to the Garden Tomb. We were going to have communion there. I was only like, I think it was right out of Bible college. I was like 21 years old, just about the, just st- starting to kind of uh, flirt with Sarah. That's the stage I was at. Sent her a really embarrassing postcard, but that's another story. <laughs> and uh, I remember it being there and, and sort of like feeling like I kind of poked my head in there. Like as if, what else I was going to see? It's empty. But I mean, it was just, there was something about that experience of like, yeah, yeah, it is actually empty. <laughs> but I mean, the, this, is, this is the thing. These guys see this and they're going, yes, I, I the evidence says I can take Jesus at his word. Now, if you're, again, just kind of new to Christianity or you're just kind of still sussing this stuff out, please don't think I'm saying the only evidence is this testimony of an empty tomb. That's just one part of it. But, but I, I want you to see that the devotion here and the testimony of, of these ladies who weren't expecting this. This is not some sort of corporate delusion. They're not kind of going, we so love Jesus, we just want to will him back to life. We want to just believe that he's there. No, they went with the spices to bury this man they loved. But he wasn't there. And then they remembered what he said. Let's go to the third testimony. The testimony of the failed apostles. In verse 9, here's what we read. It says, And returning from the tomb, that's they, the women, told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told them, who told these things to the apostles. Now, I, I want to point out just really, it's important to, to, to notice this, that it's it's that Luke specifically doesn't just identify some that we know, but he, he says this: Mary, the mother of James. This would be James, the guy who's also called Alphaeus sometimes in the New Testament. And the reason I think this is important is because here are these, uh, these apostles. This includes, of course, Peter, that we'll see in a minute, who had already denied the Lord three times. And most of the apostles had ran away when he was arrested, and that's, that was understandable. Uh, but still, they're, they're, they're just as gobsmacked as everybody else. They're just as confused and hurting as everybody else. But when someone's, when one of their moms comes to him and says, James, honey, Alfie, it's true. The tomb was empty. James is like, whatever, ma." You don't know what you're talking about, ma. Doesn't even believe. Now, this is it's interesting to me that they were unwilling to believe trusted family members. The guys who walked with Jesus the most closely, when their mom comes and says, it's all oh, true, everything I said is true, he's alive, the tomb is empty, they're like, whatever. Doesn't that, does that strike you? So what happens next? We're almost done. Verse 11 says, but these words seemed to be idle tales and they did not believe them. You're making up stories now. Now, why didn't they believe him? What was the thing that kept them from believing most? Probably this. It was women bringing the testimony. Because in that day, women... Were only worth one woman it was, only, was uh, I'm sorry, it took, I think, three women to equal one man, or was it two women and one man? I can't remember. But basically, you, what you had to say in a witness of as a quarrel, wasn't worth very much. No. Ah, you emotional women. We can't trust you. Your testimony's no good. In other words, listen, they were overly influenced, it seems, by their cultural assumptions. How about you? What cultural assumption makes the the reality of the resurrection incredible to you? Unbelievable to you? People don't rise from the dead. That doesn't actually happen. You know, science has shown that no one, science proves no one rises from the dead. That's not true, by the way. It's because you can't prove from science if someone can or cannot rise from the dead. All it shows is, guess what? It's abnormal. It's called a miracle for a reason. No, it, Christianity can't be true. Because they suppress women. Did we just read what we just read? That in a time when no one ever listened to women, when even the disciples wouldn't listen, who does the Lord sovereignly choose to be his first witnesses? Hallelujah. Women. What cultural assumption is keeping you from believing? That's a white man's religion. Well, Jesus was actually Middle Eastern. (laughs) What cultural assumption is keeping you from believing? No, that's not the religion of my parents. It wasn't the religion of Jesus' parents either. Because theirs was based on a a tradition that was confusing people. They didn't know what Messiah to, to expect. He had to correct all that. What cultural assumption is keeping you from believing? Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That's amazing how, how I'm going to geek out a little bit here. I'm going to be a theology geek for just a second you read this, the, the commentaries, and I don't know the Greek language. I'd love to study it one day, but I don't know the Greek language. But I read all these kind of study helps that say this Greek word is this, and he's got, the scholars says this. And it's amazing how much debate is over the meaning of this word marveling. Now seriously, because they, some people say, oh, this is him just marveling how wonderful is it is that Jesus is now risen from the dead. Others are going, there's no belief in this marveling whatsoever. There's just all this debate about it. But the word, here's what the word actually means. It means you're just Marvin, like, oh, I don't know what to make of this. I, 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 don't, I don't know what's happening here. This is beyond what I imagined. I don't know if this is true or not true. It's just, but it is what it is. The tomb is empty. And I wonder if it's a situation where Peter's wondering, do I dare hope this is true? Do I dare hope that the Jesus that I denied three times has actually come back from the dead? And if he's come back from the dead, what's he going to say to me? Is he going to bring judgment? Is he going to show mercy? Oh, the Jesus I know would show mercy. Could it be? Could it be that he's back and I might have a chance to be changed? You can imagine. See, see, here's the reality. We see the empty tomb and we have to answer the question, why is it empty? I, I, I challenge you come up with a reason why it's empty, I, I, I will guarantee you this, you won't come up with a new reason. If you say, aliens come and stole the body, that's even been talked about already. But almost every reason you can think of, it, it falls into the categories that all were happening in these first days after Jesus rose from the dead. Why was the tomb empty? But you know what no one denies? The tomb was empty. <laughs> And the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have a living hope. So let me challenge you with a couple of things. Let's, let's respond to this, okay? Um, uh, this is maybe first for you who, you guys who are just kind of seeking this stuff out. You're just kind of considering Christianity, okay? Okay? What would it take to make the reality of Jesus' resurrection credible to you? What would it take? I mean this. This is not a a challenge in the way I'm saying, I dare you to come up with something. This is a, a real, legitimate question. What would it take? What would you need to happen? I want you to think about that. I challenge you to think about that and answer that question. What would I need to happen? What would have to happen? And if you think you have an answer, Please share it with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. For those of you who are already Jesus followers, how might your prayer life look different if you remembered that Jesus is actually alive? I mean, I I know we all, of course we know Jesus is alive. Of course, this is why we pray, but let's be honest. Sometimes we're praying to what? To whatever might be out there. Sometimes when we pray, we pray because we know we should say our prayers. Sometimes when we pray, we're, we're kind of, we might say, I'm praying this in Jesus' name, but that's just the formula we were taught. What might happen if we actually prayed, remembering we're praying to our God who showed himself on this earth and is alive and is active in our lives even as we're praying and through our prayers in the lives of others. What might happen? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. What are we gonna do with it? Father, we thank you so much that it's by your power that you raised Jesus from the dead and it's that same power that has made us alive in Jesus. It's that same power that is changing us from the inside out. Father, I pray you would make us as Jesus followers more credible. Lord, we we don't have to be perfect people to, to, to have a good testimony. We just have to be those that are willing to remember who you are and what you've done and to testify of that. And Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. Lord, I pray that you might do for them what you did for us. Bring them to that saving knowledge. That place that they see you as you are. Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.